about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Jesus went on to say, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about it. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I said when I meant in a little while you will see me me no more and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. No, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the father and have entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, friends, great to be with you this evening. It's a great joy to be gathered in whatever way we can in this season. We need to gravitate toward one another, don't we? We need one another uh, in difficult times, uh, speaking God's word into each other's hearts. I'm not sure how your heart is today. You might be feeling a bit sapped of energy. You might be feeling joyful from the, what is it, like 25 degree day we just had. But your heart might be heavy from the tumults in our world, from earthquakes to countries, to our own city, to viruses and illnesses and vaccines and social media and the storms of life. You know, as we come to the end of John 16 today, 
Uh, I was reminded reading it again this week that Jesus is speaking to people with sorrow-filled hearts. He's speaking to the disciples at a moment of vulnerability when they're not really sure what's happening or how to respond or what to do with the news of Jesus' imminent departure. And so a couple of times in this section, starting in 14, he talks about their hearts. Do not let your hearts be troubled, chapter 14. And earlier in chapter 16, ESV actually uses the word heart. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. As Jesus wraps up this part of the discourse today, I feel like it really is a word to our hearts, as it was to the disciples' hearts. It was a word into their grief and sorrow. But it was a word not just for what was happening around them, not just for what was going to happen to Jesus and the days that would follow, but Jesus had an eye on two things. One was his death, and the other one was the trouble that would be beyond his death that would follow the disciples every day of their life. And he speaks a word into their hearts to steady them in the coming days and for the years ahead. And so I believe it's also a word for our hearts. The world is full of trouble, Jesus says, but in him we can have peace. So open your heart today. Don't just listen outwardly. Listen with your fears and your anxieties. Listen with your heart cobbled together in whatever sorrow and grief you have or apathy or joys it has. Because Jesus wants to speak Things of joy to us today. Reasons for joy. Not just happiness or feeling good when things are really sad. No, that's not what joy is. Things to find real rejoicing and steadiness and confidence in, even in difficult days. So I want to walk through this passage. I want to find four things about joy that Jesus wants to speak to our hearts today. And the first one as he speaks to his disciples is this. That the joy of his resurrection cannot be taken away. The joy of his resurrection cannot be taken away. Now it takes a while to get there, but Jesus, he starts in a bit of a a cryptic fashion, doesn't he? In verse 16, in a little while you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me. You're like, well, Jesus, could you be a little bit more less specific about what you're talking about? Uh, At this time, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you'll see me no more, and then in a little while, you'll see me? And also, he's talking about going to the Father. So Jesus is being overly cryptic, talking about disappearing for a bit, then appearing for a bit, and then going to be with the Father, kind of departing. They're kind of boggled with, the, the weird calculus happening in Jesus' head. Jesus clears it for them. Are you asking what I mean when I said in a little while you'll see me no more than after a while you'll see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grief, but your grief will turn to joy. What's Jesus talking about? How is he answering their question? What are these little whiles and little whiles and going to the Father, what does it all look like? 
Well, he says what's about to happen is something of such intense distress and pain that it will leave you in a state of utter mourning and despair and distress. Really, the only thing Jesus could be talking about here is his death. Because he's addressing his closest friends who are about to watch him be unjustly condemned, mocked and tortured and executed. That's what they are about to walk through. And he's speaking to them really about that. And we get another clue that the world rejoices as it happens. The dark world that has had enough of the light of Jesus Christ will snuff him joyfully out. But then Jesus says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. I will disappear. I will die for a little bit, but then it will turn back into joy. And we look at that and we think, how is that? How can you say that to people, Jesus? Really? How can you say to people who are going to experience such violence, who are going to feel such dark things, who are going to watch you die? How can you just say it's going to just, it'll be, it'll be, you'll, you'll be joyful in the end? Surely the only thing Jesus can be talking about is the joy of him being resurrected of the dark night of his death and torture, being dismissed by the joy of hearing his voice again. What Jesus is describing is that in a little while he'll die, and then in a little while he'll rise, and then he'll go to the Father. But it will be a dark, grievous time for the disciples. And yet he he compares it to a woman giving birth. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. You know, there is an anguish and pain that is so extreme and distressful. The pain of labor and birth, I've seen it secondhand twice, not firsthand. But when the baby arrives... All the pain goes. Jesus says it's, it's forgotten. It is swallowed up, overwhelmed, vanquished by the joy of the presence of a baby. Jesus says that's what it will be like to see me alive again. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you'll rejoice and no one will take away your joy. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, seeing him alive again for the disciples, will be a moment of such unassailable joy that all the troubles that will even come after it won't be able to rob rob them of it. Because in the resurrection of Jesus is glimpsed something incredible about the purposes of God in the world. In the resurrection of Jesus, the dark violence and sin and disorder of the world is conquered by God the Father's raising him to life. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is a real reason to believe that the sad things can and will end in joy. Perhaps even a joy that will swallow up the sadness forever. You know, we aren't the disciples who are about to watch Jesus die and then see the joy of new things happen. 
But perhaps it is the same for us. Living in a grief-filled world, perhaps the promise is slightly different. We won't see Jesus raised from the, the dead three days later, but we will see him in his glory. We will see him wipe every tear from every eye. We will see him raise the dead. We will see joy swallow up grief. It's hard to imagine what this might look like. One of the only ways I can think about it is, you know those times when you wake up in the grip of an evil dream? Not just a nightmare, but like a really kind of evil, you know, deep, dark dream that is real. I remember in the early days of our marriage, waking up in the, in the grip of a, a terror dream, you know. Uh, the last thing I remember in the dream was being on the floor of our apartment with someone with a weapon to my head. And in the dream, I didn't know where Cass was. And she was somewhere, but I just assumed she was dead in a dream. And so I wake up thinking I'm about to die, thinking I've already lost my wife. I bolt upright in bed. And I look, and she's just there. There's no weapon. There's just sun through the window. And the terror is swallowed up by the joy of the day. You see, that's the kind of ending that the resurrection of Jesus makes possible, guarantees. The joyful ending of the raising of the dead and the end of all evil, broken by his cross. Friends, there is a joy in the resurrection of Jesus that no one can take away from you. And friend, maybe that's the thing you need in your head right now. Not anxieties about illnesses and viruses and vaccines. It doesn't matter if you get sick. It doesn't matter if you die. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. There is a joyful resurrection that awaits even the darkest times of this world. And that's a joy that nothing can take from us. But you know what? Jesus doesn't think that's the greatest joy. Jesus doesn't think in this passage that the greatest joy is seeing him again. The fullness of joy he actually attaches to something else. Did you see? Because he goes on to describe how after the disciples see him again, something will change between the disciples and God the Father. And that the fullness of joy is this living in the Father's love. He says in verse 19, In that day you'll no longer ask me anything. Notice that in that day, as if in the, after the resurrection of Jesus, it's a new day a new era, a new epoch, something has totally shifted in God's world. In that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Where's the fullness of joy? in asking and receiving from God the Father in the name of Jesus, isn't it? Something has shifted between the disciples and God the Father. They're not, he says, you haven't been asking God the Father for anything up till now, but you will then. 
Then he keeps going and talking about this difference with them and the Father a bit more. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I'll no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. Whoops. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. Because you've loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. I came from the Father and entered the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. So this holding is shifting between the disciples and Jesus. After the resurrection, he'll speak plainly about the Father. And as the Spirit's poured out and as the disciples understand Jesus, they have a clear vision of God the Father. But then Jesus clarifies, he won't be asking things of the Father They will be asking things of the Father because the Father loves them, will listen to them. They will be in relationship with Him. That's an astounding phrase. The Father Himself loves you, friend, tonight, wherever you are. The death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. You see this straight after his resurrection in the garden with Mary when he's discussing with her that he needs to go to the Father. He says, the Father is my Father and your Father. My God and your God. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, his Father becomes our Father. We become the children of God of John 1. In John 17, right after this passage, Jesus will talk about How eternal life is knowing God the Father, knowing God the Son. The fullness of joy is found in relationship with God the Father. You might be thinking, well, that's a great point, but it doesn't really help me right now. It's not really practical or useful. Like, that's great, but what's the point? Would you notice what Jesus had when he walked to the cross, he describes it in this passage. The one thing he had with him. The one thing that enabled him to continue. The one thing he walked through the dark night with. What was it? You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for who the Father is with me. It is in the love of the Father in delight of the Father, in relationship and intimacy with the Father, that Jesus walked to the cross. It was in the power of that relationship that he walked into the deepest grief for you and threw it into the light of resurrection. And I think Jesus talks about his walking with the Father right after our relationship with the Father to Maybe tell us something. That actually the thing we need most in the troubles of life that follow is our Father in heaven. And that fullness of joy will just be found from asking and receiving. Oh, Father, I can't can't handle today. Can you help me? I'm so overridden with anxieties. Will you lend me your peace? I'm not quite sure how to handle the anxiety of my family right now or the, 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 the handle of my news feed. Will you give me wisdom? Maybe there's a simplicity of joy for you, friend, in this season in simply just 
coming to the Father vulnerably and honestly and asking for what you need. The way to him has been opened by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus, the one who knows the Father the best, who walked with him to the cross, says, that's where the fullness of joy is. In asking and receiving vulnerably from God the Father. In walking with him through the trouble. Find joy in the intimacy with God the Father. His love that is trained on you because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's something else to rejoice in. Jesus gets onto this in the passage after a really awkward moment with the disciples. The disciples start saying after his explanation, which I don't think is that clarifying, but they think is, that Jesus says, oh, now you're speaking clearly. Really? Really, guys? And without figures of speech. And now we can see that you know all things and that you don't even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You catch Jesus' reply. Imagine you're them right now. And this is Jesus' reply to you. Do you now believe? Do do you now believe? It's a searching question. Maybe to bring about silence. Jesus says a time is coming and is in fact, has come when you will be scattered. Each to your own home. And you will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone. For my Father is with me. The third thing we get to rejoice in is not in our faith, not in our capacity or a spiritual or otherwise, not in our ability to get through, but in Jesus's. Jesus in these, these, these exchanges exposing the lack of faith his disciples actually have. Jesus says, the faith you think you have will be exposed tonight. You know, we look at these words which are strangely pointed and being kind of scattered to your own home a bit of an odd one to read in the middle of a lockdown. But the reason they're scattered is not because of something happening, but because they abandon him. You'll leave me at the moment when I needed you most. In the moment when I was completing the work of God, that's when your faith fails. And I walk on alone. Because what we get to rejoice in, this is the third thing, is we get to rejoice In the fact that Jesus in his own lonely obedience completes the things that we just can't. Jesus walks with his father to the cross because it is his father's work he is completing. It is a courageous, lonely obedience that saves the world. You know, you might be looking out at your life thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this Christian thing for like 30, 40, 50 more years. I don't know how to live in the complexity of the things I see happening in churches and in the world. I don't think I can do it. Friend, guess what? You can't. But he has. He has completed the obedience and the faith that you lack. He walked with courage and purpose when you faltered. And he has already completed the course of your obedience before you drinking the wrath of your failure 
to the very dregs. Maybe there's something we're missing about the courage of Jesus in the way we talk about him. It's his obedience. It's his fortitude that is his courage. His willingness to just continue and to complete the Father's work, regardless of the cost. Isn't that worth rejoicing in? Rejoicing in the fact that our disobedience and failure won't win the day because his obedience has. In fact, Jesus' conclusion is that in the end, we are to be courageous because by this act of obedience, he has already overcome the world and all of its trouble and evil. That's where he ends for the disciples. They don't need to have a confidence in their own faith and obedience and capacity to deal with a difficult world. They just need confidence in his ability to have done it already. And so Jesus concludes by saying, I've told you these things so that you'll have peace. So that the world won't rattle you. So that difficult times won't disorient and kind of push you to the edge. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. But be courageous, he says. Have a full heart. Why? Why, have, why be courageous? Like it's, it's more than just being joyful or steady or surviving. He says, be courageous. Be strong. I've already overcome the world. By my long obedience in the one direction, I've driven out the prince of darkness. I've conquered death paid for sin. There is no violence that I have not vanquished. There is no death I cannot overturn. There is no darkness that my light cannot pierce. The word for overcome is to completely vanquish, conquer, and set aside. And that's what Jesus says he has done to the world in all its darkness and disobedience and disorder. We can stand courageously on his victory. Even when things are falling apart. His victory can give us a steadiness and joy. Even when we can't see it happening around us. You will have trouble, Jesus says. But in me you can have peace. See, all the reasons for joy he gives us are nothing about us. And nothing about the world but all about him and what he has done. And his words to our heart are really just him. His resurrection, his obedience, his opening of the way to his father and his victory. These are the things our heart needs. These are the things your brothers and sisters need. You know, can I urge you this evening that this is not a word just for you, but this is a word for a brother or a sister who you haven't seen at church online in a little bit, you feel a bit disconnected from. This is a time when we need to move toward each other with these words from Jesus we've read in this whole part of John to fill up each other's hearts, not with sadness and grief, but with the joy of his victory. Can you think of one friend right now you can message just a little bit of this to who haven't seen online for a bit. Their heart needs this more than their news feed, more than anything else. 
Because in Jesus there's a joy that nothing can take, a Father whose love cannot be shaken, an obedience and victory better than anything you can get in this world. Friend, feed your heart on this this week. Let us feed together as a community on this Jesus that we might find joy in trouble. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.